In today's episode, I talked to a very, I would say, grounded and unique individual, David Peralta. Uh, he's a spiritual teacher, he's a coach, and he's a creator of something called the, the Soul-Centered Founder. And really, he brings 20 years of studying Zen Buddhism, Eastern spirituality, Christianity, and, and really working with men or, or people, but today's conversation was about men on helping them unlock success and really define what that is and the role of spirituality in masculinity. And we even get into a little bit of a debate about unconditional love and whether or not that is, one, attainable in humans, and also, two, whether or not that's something that we can grow in, both in our current lives as well as pass on to our children. So today's conversation is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast as well as take a moment to write a review. It obviously helps the algorithm and also gives me feedback for how I'm doing and also the guests that I have on. Um, it helps steer the conversation around masculinity. So without further ado, let's get started with the conversation with David Peralta. Men, we are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have depth. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. So since you were young, you you had put in your bio that you you really felt like you had a a call to greatness and really to, to helping other people. I'm curious, um, looking back on your life, where, where do you feel, especially cause a lot of people, they spend a big chunk of their life kind of sifting through and, and searching for what that call is. Um, where do you think you got that deep sense of, of calling to help other people and to really pursue that greatness in you? Uh, if I could say it in a word, it would be my soul. Uh, that was not what I recognized. I, I didn't recognize that at any point okay. in my childhood and in my early years. But later on, I realized that's what was all the time there feeling like this is what has the potential to live in a way that I wasn't living. And that's where it was coming from. Got it. Okay. And it, I mean, this could probably take five podcast episodes, but like, what was some of that evolution of peeling back the layers of realizing that? That is, uh, that is quite a question. Um, <laughs> so it started when I was 14 years old. Uh, okay. And it started with uh, a spiritual awakening. Um, it started with an experience of a profound sense of divine love uh, that I suddenly started to feel for everything and everyone around me. Um, that actually came with, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to put it. You, 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 yeah. You've asked a really targeted question. Like People don't normally ask questions like that. Uh, and so <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. There was a process of awakening. Let me put it this way. Okay. There was a process of awakening that already started at a very young age, but I wasn't aware of it happening. 
And so there were experiences that I had along the way that gave me tastes of what the soul was, but without enough awareness about it. So I would have this experience when I was 14 of deep, profound love. Uh, And then again, losing that and experiencing kind of the lack of that. Uh, And then again, at 20 years old, another one of these experiences where I start to feel connected to something that is not what the world is telling me is an option, connected to a deeper sense, an an inner intuition, an inner voice, right? Uh, In other words, like I had been following the script, I had been following the, the expectations that had been set on me, I was checking all the boxes, I was getting good grades, I had gotten into a good university, I was doing good work there, but inwardly I was deeply unhappy. Uh, none of what I was doing and none of these boxes that I was checking was leading to any sense of fulfillment, to any feeling of meaning and purpose in what I was doing. And so at 20, there came another one of those layers peeling back where I had a moment where I realized that I didn't have to do any of those things, that I was actually free to make a choice, that there was a source inside of me that would guide me towards what was right for me as, a, as opposed to just following these things externally. And then this continued at 24, and no, excuse me, at 21, um, I had another experience that showed me there's something else going on here. I started to feel uh, all this energy flowing through me one day uh, and out. This What I knew to be healing energy was flowing. It was in the middle of a psychotherapy workshop. It was an intensive psychotherapy retreat. And this healing energy starts flowing through me to the other participants and again shows me there's something else inside of me. There's something else going on. Um, Awakening, but not yet clear what it is. Okay. Um, That process continued. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of directions that I, I, I could go in, but like your question was, what was the process of peeling back the layers? Yeah. Yeah. So that process was the process of that soul awakening, of my soul awakening. And it was a process of learning how to let go of what I was, um, what I was being asked to do by the world and to follow something inside of me that was guiding me. And so that then guided me after that to, uh, a Zen Buddhist monastery that guided me to finding an Indian saint in India um, named Sri Kaleshwar. Uh, And then that's when it started to kind of sink. In other words, that's when I started to become aware. This thing that has been guiding me this whole time, now I'm feeling it as a living presence in my life. Now I'm feeling this light inside of me. Now it's starting to bloom and blossom in my life. And now I'm starting to see the effects that has that it has in my life. And then once I start to shift my awareness to that, once I start to give my attention to that and start to let that become more of a dominant force in my life, right? As opposed to the, the mind-based approach, which I had taken up until that point, then yeah. that's when I started to live that life that I had felt, this is what I was meant to live. This is how I was meant to live, not only from my soul, but connected to all souls, connected to that oneness, connected to that divinity that's in everything. 
Uh, and so that's a, that's a very high level kind of summary yeah. of, of what that process was like. What, what was that experience that you had at 14 that kind of like began that process for you? So what happened was I was sitting in my history class and my history teacher was a former police officer. And he told me, he told the whole class a story of, uh, of a time when he was on call on duty and he, um, he was called to a hit and run. And when he arrived on the scene, it was a five-year-old girl that had been hit. And so he went to her and he held her and she died in his arms. Oh my god! And then he was the officer who had to go to that mo- to the mother of that girl and tell her what had happened. And when I heard that story, it hit something in me, and it touched a part of me that had never been touched by a story before. Yeah, and I started to feel the pain of that story, but something else started to happen, which is I started to relive that story as if it was happening to me. And okay. I started to experience that story as if I was that girl uh, and as if I had just been hit by a car and as if I was dying and as if suddenly I'm being held by another human being and I'm feeling this, both this pain and this suffering, but also this connection to this police officer. And then suddenly I'm experiencing it from his perspective. And it's the same thing of, of watching this precious child die in my arms, but also feeling this gratitude that I could be there for her. And then suddenly I'm inside the mother and I'm being told that my child has just died. And I feel this loss and this sorrow and this grief, like this sudden hole open up inside of me, like I could never imagine. And after I experience these things, I'm experiencing a level of emotion and pain that I'd never felt before. And I just start sobbing. I can't control it. Uh, class is over and tears are just pouring down my face and I'm going out into, into the break and my friends are looking at me and they're saying, you know, like, are you okay? What's wrong? And all I can feel is their concern for me. I can feel such a profound love that they have for me that I'd never felt before. And this love just starts overwhelming me and even more tears start pouring out. And wow. I realized like, okay, I cannot function at the moment. So I go to the school nurse's office and, uh, and she sees the state that I'm in. And so she says, okay, just go ahead, lie down on the couch. And then I yeah. lie down. Um, and then that's when it starts. I suddenly start to experience uh, suffering on a level that I had never imagined before. Completely out of my control, I start to live in my inner vision um, the most incredible suffering experiences that that I could imagine. Uh, So, for example, suddenly I'm in uh, a gas chamber in the Holocaust. Uh, and I'm experiencing the terror of the collective group as they're being gassed. And I feel this in my own being. And then suddenly I'm transported to the other side of the glass. And I'm now inside of the German officers who are gassing the, the people on the other side. And what I will never forget was when I was on the other side of that glass was feeling that the Germans were actually suffering more than the the Jews that they were killing because the Jews were suffering from what that was happening to them. But the Germans already had such a level of suffering inside of them that allowed them to do this. And then not only were they 
perpetrating this suffering, but then that suffering was coming back on them. So there was such a level of suffering happening there. And it just continued. I experienced one experience after another like this until I felt like I was experiencing the suffering of the globe. And then at some Uh point it stopped. And then there was just this calmness. The tears stopped completely. And I just felt this clarity. And I walked out of the nurse's office and all I could feel was love. All I could feel was love for everything. And I could, all I could feel was love in everything. And again, one of my friends came in front of me and I couldn't even speak to her because of how much love I felt for her and how much love I felt coming from her. And that was, that, that's, that opened a door on that day that, um, wow. Yeah. Talk about an experience, especially in the middle of school at 14. My goodness. Yeah, exactly. Man, that, that would mark most people. I, and, and just as an observation, but like to, it says a lot about you as a person to allow your heart to be open to that experience. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us, you know, whether it be trying to get accepted or being afraid of being embarrassed or what, you know, just everything the teenage years bring would fight to shut that down instead of let your heart be open to experiencing it. So, man, that is, whew, that was quite the experience. Even just listening to you, I can feel some of that. Um, I, so, I mean, that, that is, I mean, first of all, that's a, an amazing and unique experience. I can see why it would mark you and really begin that journey. Now, obviously, like you said, it's an evolution and it takes time to really peel back the layers and, and discover um, kind of the why behind that. But what, and I, I think this is kind of correlated and and connected to it, you know, that that was, you could say that was a human experience in the sense of the emotion, but the the love component, depending on where you are on your spirituality and your faith, um, you know, I would say that God was an intricate part of that experience for you. And, yes. and my question within that is, you know, what in your experience, not just that one, but just in your life experience and in, in what you do and in helping people, what do you feel is kind of spirituality's role in, you know, we're, we're primarily, there are women that listen to this podcast, but primarily speaking to men, um, what's spirituality's role in really helping men for lack of better words, become who they're meant to be or to, to, um, to be able to access what life really has to offer? That is a, a very big and a very deep question. I tend to ask mm-hmm. those kind of questions. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I really, really do. Um, so... I would like to rephrase it slightly yeah. um, because I don't think that I would say that spirituality has a role. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because um, spirituality isn't a role and it doesn't have a role. What we call spirituality and what we refer to spirituality, that's the reality. That's what's real. When we live that and when we live in alignment with that, that's when we've finally done away with all roles. We've done away with everything and now we are living the essence of who we are. 
we are living in connectedness to the oneness that is the reality that underlies all of creation, that underlies everything that we see. And when we live that, when we embody that, when we are, uh, when that, that energy is moving through us, then naturally and authentically, we are going to express ourselves in accordance with that. And so if we're male, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna live in alignment and we're gonna express the principles of the divine masculine. If we're female, we're gonna embody the principles of the divine feminine. And each one of us is gonna have the union of the two inside of us. And so we're gonna express that union. We're gonna express the fullness. We're gonna express the wholeness. There's not gonna be any artifice, right? There's only gonna be pure authenticity in every single moment. Mm. You just touched on something that I'm that I want to actually go a little bit deeper on, and that is, sure. um, you know, all men and women have an inner masculine and inner feminine, and I think that, uh, especially in today's society, a lot of that is convoluted and kind of muddied the waters. Um, but what is, what does it look like for a man to? Yes, be in his divine masculine, be, you know, locked in, kicking ass, whatever it may be. But also, like, what what is that divine feminine that lies within? I mean, I, I literally, I have a tattoo on my right arm of a king and a queen that represents my mm. inner masculine and inner feminine. And so this is, it's something that I've, I've spent some time exploring in myself. But um, I, I'm curious of what does that look like practically? for a man to be um, leaning into his inner feminine in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I like to say is that the, the inner feminine, it's, it's not a concept, right? Yeah. And it's not just an archetype. In my experience, it's a very real energy. So what is that energy? That energy is the energy of creation, creativity. Yeah. In other words, um, I'll take a little bit of a step back yeah. uh, and give a little bit of a background of my understanding of how creation works, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Uh, so in what I've learned and what I've experienced, there are two aspects, two main aspects, two main energies. There's what we call the divine father. And there's what we call the divine mother. There's also a third aspect that completes the Trinity. That's the divine son. Uh, the divine father is the formlessness, the pure consciousness, right? Pure potentiality, what exists before anything exists. So before the creation exists, there's only silence, stillness, this pure energy. And we can call that love. Because if we ever feel that energy, that's what we feel as love. Whenever we feel love, it's that energy expressing itself in the creation. So that's the divine father, just pure potential, capacity to become anything. The divine mother is the energy that takes the energy of the divine father and brings it into the creation, and so takes it from formlessness into form. 
she is the energy that animates everything. So everything that we see, feel, hear, touch is her energy has taken that formlessness, given it vibration, given it form, and it is her energy inside of it, that creative life force, that creative life-giving energy that is sustaining everything. And so these are the two forces, right? And so that feminine is a very real energy that exists inside of everything, just as the masculine is a very real energy, right? That is the energy from which everything arises. So when we connect to those two, right? First of all, one of the biggest things that happens is the heart opens in this union. Yeah. Because the heart is open to that divinity. The heart is open to that love that is beyond the creation. And it is open to that energy that is creating everything inside of creation. So when we live this way, we express qualities that we would call divine. In other words, um, with our open heart, we are very loving. Right. So this is this is the union of the two. This is not just the feminine quality. Um, we are very still. We feel a, it's not even a deep sense of peace. There's only peace. There's only love. And we also see that in everything. So we relate to everything with love and with compassion. We also, because we have an open heart and we're fully embodied in our humanness, we feel everything. So we feel the suffering of others. We're open to the suffering of others. We're not consumed by it because we're connected to that stillness, to that yeah. source. And so we feel compassion, right? We treat others with kindness. There's also a huge source of creativity in us. That divine mother energy is a huge source of creation energy. And so our thoughts and our intentions have a massive amount of power. And so, in other words, whatever thoughts we're holding, whatever intentions we're holding, whatever visions and plans we're holding, they will manifest in the world much more powerfully when we are connected to that energy um, than than otherwise. There's probably a whole lot more, but I'll just start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What happens when a man is lopsided in one or the other? In, in the mat, like if they're, if they've either not let themselves explore or lean into the feminine, or they, because of pain, because of trauma, because of life, right? Um, they've either suppressed or um, maybe embraced a warped perception of what masculinity is. Yeah. So that's a, so first of all, that's a, the way that you just said that, that's exactly the issue is that there is a warped perception, right? There is a warped understanding of what it means to be masculine and what it means to be feminine, right? There comes a point where we can, if we touch these energies, we can drop all concepts. We experience directly, right? What that is. But when there is wounding, when there is pain, then we do not experience that. The classic example is in our childhood, our parents are meant to embody this energy. Our parents are meant to be, everybody is meant to be whole and uh, and having both of these energies inside of them. And then when you have 
a, a, a father that's embodying these energies and a mother that's embodying these energies. There's pure unconditional love and union between them. And then a child is born into that and a child should be experiencing pure unconditional love from the moment it's born, right? So the warping comes from normally, or one of the angles that that warping comes from is that relationship to the parents. There's other sources that that warping can come from, right? But if we've got a wounded father or we've got a wounded mother, or more likely we've got a wounded set of parents, yeah, yeah, then that is going to influence both our understanding of what it means to be masculine. It's mostly going to be based on how our father is and the Feminine, same thing. It's going to be based on on the feminine. But so, what happens if we if that's imbalanced, right? Um, when, as a man, we do not feel connected to the feminine, we do not feel connected to that source of nourishing, creative energy, right? That when we're hurt, that energy is there to comfort us and take care of us and let us know, give us that feeling of safety and security then many of us and many men will spend the rest of our lives forever searching and yearning for that energy. We will also feel disconnected from that energy. And so when a man feels disconnected from that energy, he's not connected to his source. He cannot connect to his source because his mother is the link to that source. We come from our mother. She's the link to us. She's a link for us to oneness. But we don't have that link. When that's not open, then all kinds of things are going to happen inside of us, right? All kinds of other energies are going to get out of balance. Our emotions are going to get extremely out of balance. Because if we don't have that nourishing, balancing energy, when we feel upset, then that upset is really going to increase. And then we're going to develop potentially a lot of anger, a lot of rage, right? We're going to develop a, a, instead of this feeling of connectedness to everything and that things are created in dependency with each other, we're going to develop a, a forcefulness and a will to dominate and a will to make things the way that we want them to be, right? As opposed to being co-created with the world around us and in harmony with the world around us. Um, so basically, it's going to create a massive amount of imbalance and unhappiness in our life. And the problem is that if we feel fundamentally disconnected from that source, then no amount of yearning or searching is ever going to satisfy that feeling. It's never going to satisfy that belief. So even when we enter into a relationship, if we carry that feeling of separation, then no amount of trying to get that energy from our partner is going to fulfill that until we learn that we are connected to that, that we are a part of that source. Uh, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think those are all really good points. There, there is one thing that you said that uh, sparked a thought with, it, it's a, how would you describe it? Between my wife and I, we, we have several conversations, obviously, but one of them is around the topic of unconditional love. Yeah. And... um. I, I don't think that you were misleading in what you said, but it, in the way that you described kind of a, a good alignment, right? Like I, I have yet to meet someone that has flushed out all of their issues and 
um, is essentially the perfect parent, right? And and whether or not that that model of unconditional love is is humanly possible, right? Is is um, is attainable no matter how much work we do. I mean, I've got I've got five kids. I I love my kids deeply. I have realized that my 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 oldest son is fourteen, and it's it's been hitting me lately that it's like, man, my time with him is in a sense coming to an end. You know, he's, he's maturing mm-hmm. into that young man phase, etc. But with five kids ranging from five to fourteen, like even in all the work that I've done, even in all the things that I'm aware of, in in my imperfections. Um, you know, I've spent the last 10 years sifting out healing and reconciling with my dad and my mom and, and changing that relationship, you know, just doing the work essentially. Um, but I still have moments where I want to throw them across the room. You know, like I, 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 I'm tired. I, I don't know. I'm stressed out about taxes, whatever it may be. Right. My, I'm imperfect. And, and so the topic of unconditional love I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because for me, I, I feel like as people, unconditional love is unattainable. And here, let me explain what I mean by that statement. Sure. Please. Is, is that unconditional love means to me, means that regardless of, of what you do or where I am, I'm, am able and, and have the capacity to, extend that that kind of feminine nurturing kind loving um response to you no matter what right now now you could say like yes if my son commits murder i'm still going to love him and you know that could be unconditional love but in in the nuts and bolts day-to-day of raising kids um i i i personally don't see that it's it's humanly possible to model essentially or to uh to live in that state of unconditional love i just don't personally think that it's attainable like at its core do i love my kids yes i do but using like what you said in the sense of like the imbalance that can come when our parents or us as parents Mm. don't model that or it is lopsided even if it's just in a moment like a lot of the a lot of the healing that i've done have come from moments right moments yeah. that my there's there's overarching there's um there's kind of a culture that's created in each family and so you know i think that's where a lot of that kind of breakdown or or lopsidedness or dysfunction can come in is when there's there's a culture of performing for love or there's a culture of this or that that creates a distortion there um but in the day to day i guess one do you do you believe that unconditional love is um attainable or able to to model adequately for our children to then grow up and not have to sift through these things that we are having to sift through now. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Like 100%. Okay. okay. <laughs> and and I'll tell you why. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I did see it modeled. I did meet somebody who lives in that. Um, okay. That was the teacher that I had in India. Uh, and so I came to recognize that not only is this possible, it's possible for every single human being. He also very unequivocally stated that it is the most difficult thing in the world to develop. Okay. It is the hardest thing 
that a human being can set out to do, right? Okay. But if we look at like how many impossible things have humans achieved when they set their minds to it, right? When they set their hearts to it, yeah. they end up achieving things that, that, you know, like what would have seemed impossible 50 years ago or 70 years ago at this point, climbing Everest, right? Yeah. Now look at how many people do it on a daily basis almost, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> these kinds of things. Um, so I've seen it and I have felt it and I've been in the presence of a human being who can do that. Um, okay. And, and that's what, that's what gives me the full faith that yes, it's possible. Um, so that's the answer to the first question. Do I believe it's possible? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I can appreciate that pushback and even that challenge to me, um, with the caveat and the understanding that it's one of the hardest things for us to be able to to achieve, but not impossible. I, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, that's and, fair. And we and we have to want it. Yeah, we have to yeah. want to develop that, right? Um, and it's and it's likely that for most of us who are have been wounded, right? Yeah, that we may not hit that point while our kids are still with, like you know, in the development stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we don't have to be too hard on ourselves about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with that's that, fair. With that expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, you know, it's like we're doing better. We're shooting for that. And just yeah. the act of shooting for that, just the act of aiming for that, if that's what we're aiming for, is already creating a new culture and a new environment for our children. Yeah. So if they carry that torch on and they're already going to have a huge uh, leg up, they're going to have a huge head start when it comes time for their kids. And if their kids carry that torch, I firmly believe that there eventually will come a generation where we finally do have two parents come together who have finally been raised in unconditional love, who were born in unconditional love. And then yeah. live their entire lives in unconditional love, including once they become parents. Yeah. I, a generational I really like thing. Yeah, yeah. Because I, even thinking of my own story, which we don't need to get into the details of, just because of time and people that have listened to my podcast know snippets of it. But um, I, I, I love the way that you said that because even in, for me, the, the super abbreviated version um, had a rough patch with my dad was now in hindsight, realizing I was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of pain, right? He didn't manage it. Well, I didn't manage it well, et cetera. But part of, part of my healing journey and reconciling and, and growing closer to him was observing and, and realizing the fact that the pain that he was going through where, you know, my grandpa was uh, a drill instructor in Vietnam. So like, if you just, mm personify that guy right um mm -hmm. and my dad never has has told me he never once in his entire life heard his dad say the words i love you mm. and 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 so i mean obviously there's way more involved in all of that but to look at yes there was there was pain and disappointment and hurt and all of that from my dad but there was also looking at where he came from there was so much good that he exactly. he fought for and gave me 
because of what he came from. Right. And, and yeah. just like you said, like now I'm, I'm working and fighting to extend that lead towards love. And, uh, I guess time will tell if, if we can arrive at a generation that you described in the sense of being formed and raised in an unconditional love environment. I'm super optimistic. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It uh, it challenges me sometimes, but I I would much rather be around optimistic people than pessimistic. So, yeah. um, yeah. There's a couple things that you you touched on earlier that I, I'm just curious about because there's there's so many people now that are are kind of locked into their tribal mentality, and and that mm. tribalism translates over into spiritual spirituality often, right? Not yeah. not always, yeah. but often. And, you know, we kind of get locked into what is right, what is wrong, what's the right mm. way to pursue love or to pursue God and what's the wrong way and all of that. How, how were you able to um, approach your spirituality where, you know, whether it's just exploring Christianity and Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, all these different practices of evolving in spirituality and becoming a more loving person. You know, my mom is a, a staunch Christian, but she was really challenged. She did English as a second language and taught a, a monk. And this was, you know, years ago, but she said, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a crisis of faith because here was this monk who was more like Jesus than anyone that I had ever known. And according to mm. my faith, he's going to burden hell, right? What and kind of monk was he? Um, I believe Buddhist. Don't quote me on that. I, I actually don't remember. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but not Christian. Not, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, he was not Christian. So, um, yeah. And you know, and so here she is. Like, I know pastors that are, you know, for a lack of better words, shitbags. Like, it just they're they're just <laughs> not, like they're pursuing Christianity. They're even modeling, but you get behind the closed door, and there's ugly sides of them. You know. And here's a man that yeah. is just overflowing with love and compassion, et cetera. Um, and so she, she's had to reconcile that and, and wrestle with that. But for you, like how, two questions. One is how sure. were you able to approach it with, with an open mind or an open heart or open spirit in the sense of finding love and finding God in all these different dualities of spirituality? And, and two, um, what would you what would be your advice to people that kind of have that that black and white approach to the right and wrong ways to find god all right so i'll start with the personal experience yeah, yeah. um i started as an atheist okay that's how i grew up yeah okay even in spite of this experience of divine love at 14 i was i was an atheist because when I was exposed to religion, I saw hypocrisy. I saw uh, contradictions. I saw basically what you described in terms of that that pastor. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the way that I moved through that was I experienced spirituality experientially. Okay. In other words, I would have direct experiences. And then when I would have direct experiences, then that told me, okay, this is real for me, right? Yeah. And also, um, I would 
start to see. Well, let me let me take a step back. Um, many of the greatest saints that I have come to follow were also unequivocal about one thing: that all religions are one. Right? Yeah. All paths lead up the same mountain, and that's all they are. They're just different paths. And so I was very fortunate that in every branch of spirituality that I was exposed to, that was the underlying theme, right? Okay. And there was never in any aspect that I was exposed to, this is right, and what everybody else is believing is wrong, right? It was, none of this is true, (laughs) right? That was another really fundamentally important uh, part of the, the... the teaching, it's not always explicit, right? But it's any tool that we use to express the truth is itself an illusion. But it's a useful illusion that is pointing the way back to the truth. But no matter what words we use or what teachings we use or what systems we use, none of it is the truth. It is all pointing the way to the truth. And once we experience that truth or have have some experience of that truth or awaken to that truth directly, then we see, oh, okay, that's in everything. That truth is in everything. That exists inside of everything. And that's one way that um, that the, the teacher that I studied with in India, Sri Kaleshwar, expressed it. He said, the only true religion is the oneness of humanity. Okay. That's the only true religion. Anything that we put on top of that, right, is an organization or a system or a process that we might use to help people realize that, but that's all that it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing. And then um, the the second thing in terms of, uh, first of all, I would not give advice to anybody who has that kind of black or white thinking. Sure. Because I don't think that they're going to be open. (laughs) That's fair. Right? I don't don't think that they're actually going to be open to that that kind of thing. but what I would what I would encourage anybody to do, right, is to really have the desire in their heart to know for themselves and to have the experiences for themselves. Right? Because once we feel that love and once we feel that oneness, there's no there's no mistaking, there's no, there's no doubt. Well, you can still doubt it, right? Um, but then you don't need the teaching at a certain point. Once you've started to experience that for yourself, you start to live that, you start to embody it. Um, I guess that's, I guess that's it. It's really, it's, it's critical that we all have direct experiences. Actually, let let me put it another way. We all have to know God for ourselves. We cannot have an authority stand between us and God. Yeah. We cannot have a church stand between us and God. We cannot have a book stand between us and God. We cannot have a guru stand between us and God. We have to have a direct experience of God. We have to know God for ourselves, in ourselves, and in everything. And that's what spirituality is. That's, you know, the truth expressing itself in every single moment. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. What what I've said to people my past and a lot of my life is is around christianity specifically but one uh, again short version uh reached a very low point in my life was ready to commit suicide and actually Mm -hmm. found plant medicine 
mm. um, psychedelics and that amongst other things, but regarding spirituality, I would say that that saved my life. It, it helped mm. heal my mind and, and save my life with those experiences because like you said, they became very real for me. But in that, a lot of the, the structure of Christianity began to break down based on mm. my experiences. And what I've said is that I, I see each religion as kind of a container and for different people, those containers work very well. Again, going back to my mom, she's one of the most kind, loving, generous, empathetic, compassionate people that I personally know. Now, yes, she's my mom, but like just the way she's chosen to live her life and yeah. that in the container of Christianity helped her become that. And yes. for me, that container of Christianity be became um, restrictive for me to yeah. be able to become that better person. So I, yes. you know, zero issues with it. I, a lot of my friends are very devout Christians, all of that, but it, it, it didn't, I didn't fit inside of that container. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, um, it makes perfect sense. I guess, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing is, um, True spirituality is not meant to be a container. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Human beings have a need to create containers. <laughs> yeah. Human minds have a need to create containers around what is beyond their understanding and beyond their knowing uh, because it's safer. And human beings also who don't have direct experiences but read about a teaching will then form concepts and ideologies about the teaching that then start to become removed from the actual teaching and the source that that teaching is connected to. Yeah. And, and this is why I believe a lot of people feel uncomfortable with these containers is because a lot of the containers are, they're, number one, they're completely artificial. All of them are. Some of them can be useful, but in order yeah. for them to be useful, they have to be connected to that source. And if yeah. they're not connected to that source and they're only connected to ideas and interpretations of teachings about the source, that's when you're going to run into trouble. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's, that's, you know, and you can, you can get a whole bunch of people following an idea without ever helping them connect to the source. Yeah. Um, you know, a big, a big thing that I've always wanted to do with this, this podcast is one, have the conversation around healthy masculinity. That's kind of the core of it. Mm. But yeah. two is also to, to give men practical things. Cause we're often very practical in our application of pursuit of things. Yes. And so I, with that said, like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you had said that it, it took you years to kind of integrate these experiences at 14, 20, 21, et cetera, to, to get you to where you are today. Um, what are, what are some practical ways that men can transition their, um, or, or extract their, you know, they have these insights or revelations or experiences with God, with love, with spirituality, with the divine feminine, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But what are some really practical ways that men can transition 
those insights or those experiences into um, making them an integral part of their lives. Hmm. So I feel that that's going to be unique to every single person. Every single person's journey is going to be completely different. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, I, I feel that the, the first thing is that there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire to integrate that. And there has to be a desire and a choice, right? Between what kind of life do we want to live? Right. For me, it almost didn't feel like a choice. Okay. But it still was a choice because when I was young and I felt these experiences and I connected to these energies, and then I tried to live my life, right? The way that I was being told to live my life. The choice was clear. There is no meaning and purpose in this way that I'm being told to live. And these energies are more real to me and the experiences that I'm having are more real to me. So I want that to be the center of my life, no matter what, right? And so that's the first step. We have to make a choice and we have to have a level of clarity. We have to, we have to dig in and know what it is that we want. And if we don't know what it is that we want, if we're in that place of suffering, then we have to know, we have to start by knowing, I don't want this. I know I don't want this. I don't yeah. yet know what I do want, but I know I want. I don't want this. And the second thing, the second part of that is um, we have to call on God in whatever way, whatever form, whatever way we connect to that energy as, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's Jesus or God or Buddha, we have to connect to that underlying energy because we live in relation to that energy. That energy is what's going to create in our life the circumstances that are going to allow us to move towards what it is that we want. If we try to do it on our own, which is what most of us try to do and a lot of men try to do, we're going to hit wall after wall after wall. And life is going to show us this is not the way. We have to live in relation to that energy. And so we have to call on that energy. Even if we don't have a form right? Even if we have been atheist or agnostic or whatever, at some point we have to recognize like, okay, there's more going on in life than I'm aware of. And yeah. I'm calling on that life, right? Or the universe or whatever it is. I need help because I don't want to live this way. And please guide me, mm. right? Show me the way. And yeah. so then that's what starts to happen. So there has to be a desire, there has to be a, a certain degree of clarity. And again, like I said, even if you're not clear on what you want, at least being clear on what you don't want to start with. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Then in relation to that energy that is the source of everything that's arising and happening, we have to ask for help. Okay, please help this. Please help me. This is what I'm struggling with, right? If we don't connect to that source and we're struggling with something, how are we going to help ourselves? So when we connect to that, it will create in our life. It will create circumstances. It will guide us to the right people, to the right teachers, to the right therapists, to the right whatever it is that we need that enable us to take that step, the next step, the next step. And every single step of the way, we get more clarity, 
we're able to ask again with more clarity, the energy is able to support us. And so it becomes this virtuous cycle of depending 100% on that energy, getting clear on what we want, asking that from the energy, and then doing the effort based on whatever that energy presents to us in our life. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I really like the way that you laid that out. Absolutely. Um, I want to do something that seems like a hard pivot, but but is I, I think sure. it's directly connected. Um, that's the topic of success. And, yeah. and I like I said, I, I think it's connected to this conversation because a lot of men so. chase a perception or a, a delusion of success. Um, the first question around that is, um, what is like around the topic of success? What does that mean to you? Like what, what, or maybe a different way of asking that is what should men do besides like really pause and, and look deep within, but how should they approach success and, and how should they approach defining success for them? Hmm. If I could define success in one sentence, yeah, it would be the open-hearted expression of love. Okay. That's success in, in my understanding. And the reason why that's my understanding of it is because that's my understanding of our purpose. Okay. That our purpose as human beings is to let that love from that source express itself through us. And it expresses itself through us in relation to the rest of the world. So through our love for what we love, we love other people, we love other things, and that love flows through us. That is what allows success to be created in our life. And I'll get back to that in just a moment because- yep. The problem that we have is we don't live that way, right? We have images and concepts and expectations of success. In other words, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of concepts that our society creates that says this is what success is. Success is a lot of money. Success is this type of body. Success is this type of house. Success is this. Success is that. Right? Yeah. All of those are not real. They're just concepts. So we can chase that concept. We can achieve that concept, but that concept doesn't have substance by itself, in and of itself. So when we achieve that concept, right? When I achieved the good grades, when I achieved getting into university, I did not do those things because it arose from within me. I was not in alignment with the source and it wasn't the source that was telling me, go and do these things, get good grades, go to college, right? Go to university. I did it because I was chasing that concept. So without that connection to that inner source, right? Without that connection to what is it that's actually trying to arise in me, when I achieve these external things, there is no meaning in them. There mm. is no satisfaction in them. There might be a temporary high of, I got the good grade. I mean, I did feel great when I got that acceptance letter into school, right? Yeah. But it didn't last yeah. at all, right? 
wasn't long before I was back into my anxiety and insecurities about everything, yeah. about going to that school, actually. Uh, and what was it going to be like? And what was going to happen? And how was I going to make friends? And blah, 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 right? I was just right back into my, my daily suffering. So there is no success that will come from chasing a concept and an idea of success. We will only feel successful when we are in alignment with that source. And when that is arising from us. And so when we feel an inspiration come up, when we feel like I have a really clear feeling that this is what I want to do with my life. I have a clear feeling that this is what I want to create in my life. Now this is coming from inside of us. If we feel inspired to go to college, great, do it, right? Yeah. That's that source inside of us calling us to do that. So when we follow that, then a lot of things are happening. Number one, that energy is flowing through us. We're listening to it, and then it is expressing itself through us in our actions. And when we live in that alignment and that congruency, then that energy of that love and that creative energy gets channeled through us. It moves through us and we feel happy. We feel joyful. So we actually feel success as we move to fulfill what it is that we feel inspired to actually create. Now, another one of the problems why people struggle to do that is because most of us are not in touch with that source. We're not in touch with our soul. We are too much in our head and too much in our mind and too much in the concepts, right? Yeah. Uh, or or we, we struggle too much to feel because we've cut ourselves off from the heart and we've cut ourselves off from the soul. So part of the process is that we have to learn through healing through connecting, through different spiritual means, we have to learn how to reconnect to that source and experience that source so that we can live from, we can live in alignment with that. Yeah. Why, why do men chase a broken perception of success? Why do men chase? Uh, so women are inherently more connected to that creative energy, that divine feminine energy. Yeah. Yeah. They create life inside of them. They have a huge creative power, the power to create life. So that's naturally inside of them. So they naturally have more of a connection to that than men. That's why it's so important for men to connect with women in a true open-hearted way because then we have a source in our life that is connected to that creation, that creativity energy. Yeah. When men don't have that, many times they feel lost. And they don't feel a connection to inspiration. They don't feel a connection to intuition. And they don't feel a connection to something guiding them. And so if you're lost and you're in pain, then what are you going to do? You're going to look outside of yourself for answers. Mm. And if there's a society saying, here are the answers, right? If you have people who are telling you, these are the answers, you don't need to look inside. Just do this. Just follow this, right? We're already automatically going to be following broken concepts, and then the degree to which we feel broken inside, the degree to which we feel 
pain inside and disconnected from that source is going to influence how broken of a concept are we going to follow? Because many of us are hurting, but at some point that source there, it's still there. That light is still there and it pushes us towards healing, right? And it pushes us towards these concepts are not working for me. Whereas a person who's in deep pain and is completely disconnected from that source is going to follow completely like total illusory concepts of I want this, I want this house, I want this, I want this power, I want this, uh, yeah. I want this car, I want to be in charge, I want the world to be the way that I want it to be, and I want to force my will on the world. And you can go all the way to the extremes of you know the level of violence that we see in the world. Like those are men who are so disconnected from their source, and they are trying to impose their will so strongly on the world that that's what ends up happening. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when working with people, I, I saw on your site, you, you've got a kind of a seven step process. Five for, step, five step. Five, five step, I'm sorry, five step process for helping people um, really define and, and connect to that healthy success. Yeah. Uh, what's the high level of those five steps? Sure. So the first step is um, we have to create a vision. We have to have a crystal clear vision for our life. We have to have an aim, right? We have to connect to what it is that we want to create in this life. And not just the next step or in a few years, but what is the highest aim that we can conceive of in our life that we want to achieve in all areas of our life. So this is not just living our best day possible, this is really if we reach the end of our life and we've achieved everything that we want to achieve, what does that look like and what does that feel like? That's the very first step because once we get yeah. that clarity, we now have a clear destination right? that we can move towards. In that vision, there's going to be an expression of love and of energy. There's going to be a way that that energy wants to come through us. That is our unique purpose. So everybody's purpose is the same. Everybody's purpose, in my understanding, is to express that love, to connect to that love, but how it's going to come through and what are the actions that we're going to take is going to be different for every single person. So once we have that clarity, we start to discover this is how this love wants to express itself through me, right? Not only in our relationships, right? How do we want our relationships to look? But in terms of what kind of work are we going to be doing in the world? Yeah. Right? What is that unique way that we're going to be expressing that in this world? Right. So then the uh, third step is once we have that level of clarity, then we can start to tap into our intuition. Because once we have developed a felt sense of what that end state is or that destination is, then we can start to look at everything that is in front of us, right? And all the options that we have and the million things that we can do to grow our business or to develop professionally that we usually end up scattering our energy in. And now that we have this sense, either it becomes crystal clear, this is exactly what I need to do. These are the yeah. steps that I need to take 
And so then we feel again, arising from within, nobody is telling us outside, right? There's no email marketing guru. There's no, there's no, you know, funnels tactics, right? There's nobody from the outside saying like, you know, you have to write a book or you have to start a podcast. We feel an inspiration from within. And if we don't instantly have that clarity, we can start to look at the different options that are in front of us. And then we can feel which one of these options brings that feeling up inside of us again, that feeling of aliveness, right? That feeling of wholeness that we feel in that vision that we created. And now we know this is what we need to do. So that's what we've got to pursue wholeheartedly. So then the fourth step is once we start to do that is to develop a recognition that everything that happens is from that creative energy. We can only take action, but it is that creative energy that exists in everything that is going to create results. When we can recognize that, then we can let go. We can let go of responsibility. We can let go of the burden of feeling like it's all on us because it's not. A very small percentage is on us, and that's just doing the work, right? Yeah. So once we can do that, then we can do the work without attachment to result. And once we're able to do that, all we have to do is put the effort in the directions that we feel is the right direction, and then let the direction come back from that energy. Let the results, excuse me, let the results come back from God. And what very often ends up happening, in my experience and the experience of my clients, is that the results come from left field. So we'll put a ton of energy in this direction where we feel inspired, but the results will come from somewhere totally different. And that can happen when we have totally let go. And usually when the results finally come, they will come in a way that is far beyond our expectation. Mm. When we let go of the attachment to the result, now there is space for the energy to create for us something that is beyond what we could have envisioned. And that's when we start to experience a level of success that is beyond our imagining. Yeah. Yeah. The final step is to learn how to prioritize love over everything because love is the doorway for this energy to flow into our lives and the people in our lives. So that energy, that creative energy, it exists in everything, but it exists most powerfully in the souls of other human beings. Every soul has the potential to reflect the light and the love of God, of that energy, of the source, whatever you want to call it. And the way that we tap into that energy is through opening our hearts to others. So when we prioritize the relationships in our lives above our business and above any results that we're trying to achieve, when we focus on opening our heart and connecting to that light and that love inside of another, we open the door for that love to enter into our life. And we open the door for that love to then, that energy to come in us, through us. And basically whatever vision we've created, whatever intention we've created is like the blueprint. And that energy will come and take that blueprint and really start to create it in conjunction with the rest of the world. Okay. And that's when we start to live in a miraculous way. Like that's when things start to happen in a way, which is just like, we start to live in, I've started to live and many of my clients have started to live in this state of awe and gratitude. And 
expectation that these things will happen. It's not expectation that we expect that what we want is going to be given to us. It's, yeah. it's a constant state of gratitude that if we live in this way, we're going to be completely taken care of what in Christianity is described as the kingdom of heaven. When you seek you first the kingdom of heaven, then all things will be given into onto you. Yeah. And so then now that we're in that state of energy, we go back to step one and then just repeat the whole process again. And we just, and, you know, it just becomes, uh, it, it's not a circle, it's a spiral, right? That moves okay. upward. And you constantly revisit your vision, right? And you constantly revisit what it is that I should be focusing on, right? And, and you constantly develop even more love and more energy flows into your life. And now you're at a new stage and the cycle just keeps repeating. I love it. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Something I ask everybody, we're wrapping up here, but uh, I'm always curious what, uh, what people would put on this is one billboard, 1 billion people see that billboard. Mm. What does it say? Love. Just says love. Okay. Maybe Everything stems from love. Yeah, I was just gonna say, please love. There you go. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, David, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's uh, it's been both challenging in certain ways for me personally, especially around the topic of unconditional love. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot of insight from your life experiences as well as our conversation. Um, what, what do you have going on? How can people find you? How can they connect with you? If it sparked something in them, they're like, you know what? I actually want to go through those five steps. Um, like how can they get in touch with you? Obviously we'll have links in the show notes, et cetera, but just want to give you a chance to share. Yeah, thank you. The best uh, the best way is to go to soulcenteredfounder.com. Uh, that's the website where I have my organization where I'm working with entrepreneurs and founders, but really anybody who feels like they've got a calling uh, and they don't yet feel like they're living in alignment with what they feel is either inside of them or, or that source that they feel like they want to connect to, or they just feel like they have something that they want to give in this world. It's not quite clicking yet, right? Yeah. Um, so they can go there and, uh, and there's a way to book a free consultation call with me. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who feels the pull or the inspiration to do so. Awesome. Well, David, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Definitely want to have you back on again. Um, I think we could, we touched on some topics that we could go much deeper into, but I think the high level of the things we touched on was really good to do. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Josh. I really enjoyed talking with you. Awesome. All right. Until next time. All right. Sounds great.